So the first reading, again, is our outline reading from Acts chapter 2. And like I said last time, we're going to work our way through Acts chapter 2, 42-47, and talk about the different aspects of this text that describe the earliest Jesus community, and what that means for us who are trying to be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Jesus community here in Glen Carbon. And we've been talking the past three weeks about God's Word, specifically about preaching. We're going to talk today about uh, the breaking of bread. We're going to talk about uh, sacrament. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle readings from Romans 10, 9-17. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring gospel. But not all the Israelites accepted the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message And the message is heard through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
Okay, so today I want to talk about uh, sacrament, the theology of sacrament. This is this will be real basic. And by the way, too, this is not going to be... I think that what this is going to look like is almost sort of a patchwork of stuff that I've been saying um, in previous weeks. But I'm going to arrange it in such a way to make a particular point about what sacrament is. And um, it's going to build completely on what we've done the past three weeks, talking about the Word of God and especially the Word of God preached. Uh, this will just be a one-off sermon about sacrament. I've talked about baptism before. I can't remember if I've talked about Holy Communion to you guys. But um, next week we'll move on to talk. It'll either be one week or a couple weeks about community, about fellowship, about relationship, and how relationship isn't some, something sort of secondary or second order to the Christian church. Relationship is essential. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, it pops up a couple times. So we need to know and be known by each other. We need to be involved in each other's lives. Essentially. Not, not, not just because it's nicer when you have friends. That's not what I'm talking about. Although it's true that it is nicer when you have friends. But that that's the Christian church is actually life together. So we'll do that next week. Now I'm going to talk about uh, communion and I'm going to try and make it real basic. And I found, since I've been a Lutheran, I found something interesting that a lot of us, that there are very few of us who go to Lutheran church who believe that sacraments, that for instance, that the, that Christ is physically present in the sacrament and know why we believe that. Can explain from scripture why it is that you believe that Holy Communion is the presence of Christ, soul, mind, and body. There are a lot of us who believe it, but don't know why. I get this a lot. I've had this conversation with several of you who have said, I believe it, but I can't ever like explain it. And it's almost, I get the sense, tell me if this isn't the case, not right now because I'm talking, but uh, later on, if this isn't the case, that it's almost like, do you remember when you, you grew up, you know, you grew up rooting for a particular sports team, or maybe more importantly, you grew up voting for a particular party or, uh, you know, your particular religion, or you purchased a particular brand of car every year, and you just believed that that was right, you know? Like, I'm a Democrat, and that's, I'm a Democrat, and I always buy a Ford, or, you know, I'm a Kansas City Royals fan. And then do you, do you remember, like, for some of you, it was seventh grade? For some of you, it was like when you hit college that you're like, okay, yeah, I believe that. You know, I always vote Democrat, I always vote Republican. Wait a minute, why? Like, I've always, it's, I'm emotionally invested. I'm not really sure why, though. And then you start to see, maybe, or you start to believe, or you're convinced, maybe you're wrong about it, that there's really no reason for why you should always buy a Chevy. And all of a sudden, your faith is defrauded. You become intellectually liberated. You can now buy a Nissan, right? Or you, some, a lot of you vote for a different political party now than you did when you were younger because you reached that point where I don't know why I believe that. I mean, my parents did and I just kind of went along with it. I think that a lot of us are like that about sacrament. Only we're not in seventh grade anymore. Well, some of you are in seventh grade. But a lot of us have moved on to adulthood and we want to believe that this is Christ's body and blood. And we do believe it. I'm not saying that you don't believe it, but we don't really know why. And what I want to do this morning is give you just a basic scriptural outline for why we believe in the sacraments. So this is going to be divided into two parts, not two points, but into two parts. 
The first part of the sermon, I'm going to try to explain what it is that we as Lutherans believe that's in common with all Christians everywhere. But it is essential to believing in the sacraments. And I think, I think that if all Christians would understand, so I'm thinking as somebody who was raised Baptist and was a Baptist until nine years ago, ten years, eleven, 11 years ago, it, if all Christians would understand, yes, I believe this about God's word, it would be an easy step in the Bible to believing in the sacrament, all right? So, let's start off with the gospel reading. John chapter 1. Now, we all know that this is a problem. That there is a gap between us and God. And when I say we all know that this is a problem, I mean we all know. Those of you who are believers know this is a problem. Those of you who are unbelievers know that this is a problem. If you are super devout on this end of the spectrum, if you are super agnostic on this end of the spectrum, all of us as humans know that there is a gap between us and God. Now, maybe you think that that gap exists because there's no God there. Maybe you think that that gap exists because maybe God is there, but you can't know him. But we all agree that the gap is there between us and God. But the Bible makes it really clear that God has decided to bridge that gap. God has decided to communicate with us. He wants a relationship with us, and so he speaks. The Old Testament is filled with this language. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Jonah. What does this mean? It means that God said something to Jonah. It's usually for the prophets it's in a dream, and Jonah goes and says that message. Or, you know, if, uh, Jonah didn't do this, but other prophets like Moses or Isaiah or Ezekiel will write it down in a book so that it's contained. This is a message from God. God has chosen to bridge the gap with his voice. God has spoken across the light years of distance in ignorance and agnosticism into our existence, and he is physically present now with the sound of his voice or with you know, paper. It's written down here. God speaks. But the ultimate expression of that communication is Jesus. God has, in, God's, God has inserted himself into our reality, not just with word, but with capital W, word. John 1, 1, John 1 starts off, and you guys all know this text. It's, it's almost pointless to read it out loud to you because most of you have this memorized. In the beginning was the word, capital W, word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Why does John call Jesus the word? Because John has a point to make, and the point is this. That gap has been bridged, not just audibly, but physically, look at verse 14. The Word became flesh. The Word, the ultimate communication from God, takes on a human form and inserts Himself into our universe. He walks amongst us. He skins His knee like us. He learns a language like us. He drinks water like me and you. He shakes hands and has relationships and falls asleep when He gets tired. God becomes us. That gap has been bridged by the word, yes, lowercase w, but specifically here by capital letter W of the word. So much so that verse 18, no one has ever seen God. John recognizes the gap. Nobody knows God. You can't make contact with God. He's way out there and we're way here. Now it's our fault because of sin, but the gap, the agnostics are right. The gap is there. However, Because of Jesus, although no one has ever seen God, God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You can can be communicated to from God through the Word, capital W Word, through Jesus, all right? So you are saved by God's Word. You're saved by Jesus. You're saved by this communication from outside of our universe, piercing through the layers of our universe into our universe even now. That's how you're saved. 
How does this get to you? Well, you're saved by God's lowercase w word. Look over at the epistle reading. Romans chapter 10, or look back, I should say, at the epistle reading. Let's take a few minutes to kind of hack our way through Romans 10, 9 through 17, because it's kind of juicy. Now, keep in mind that you're saved by Jesus, all right? Again, this is not, this is just, I'm saying just basic stuff to Christians. This is stuff that all Christians agree with. How does Jesus save you, though? And the answer is Jesus saves you, the word saves you through the word. Capital W word saves you through the lowercase w word. Okay, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, that's salvation. For it's with your heart that you believe. You have to believe in Jesus with your heart and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Verse 11, as the scripture says, he's going to emphasize this with this quote from Isaiah. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, you won't be put to shame. You'll confess it with your mouth. This is basically what James is saying in the book of James, right? If you have faith in Christ, it will evidence itself in good work, specifically for Paul here, in confessing with your mouth that you believe in Jesus. Christians all confess that Jesus is Lord. If you, if you find yourself unable to confess that Jesus is Lord, it's an indication that there's something wrong with your faith life, right? Because these two go hand in hand. But now after he quotes from Isaiah in verse 11, he's like, okay, I've made that point about faith and mouth. Now he's going to be like, okay, but the the beginning of that verse says anyone, right? As the scripture says, anyone. So let me comment on anyone, he says in verse 12. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Anybody who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him because everyone, Jew and Gentile, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul bounces from this sort of theology of faith and deed to this theology of pan-Christianity to the universal nature of the redemption of Jesus Christ. God's plan to bring everybody, all tribes, nations, tongues, underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to verse 14, where he answers the question, how does this happen? And that's actually what I want to talk about for the next couple of minutes, relating to how are you saved by the word Jesus? This is how it goes. How then can they call? So Paul says you're saved by calling on Jesus, right? But how can you call on somebody you haven't believed in? This is the fact that you you can't call on Jesus to save you if you don't believe in Jesus. So you need to believe in Jesus, which raises another question. How can you, verse, uh, the next line, how can you believe in the one about whom you've not heard? All right, so you need to call on Jesus to be saved, but you need to believe in Jesus to call on him. But how do you believe in him? You have to hear about him. How do you hear about him? So Paul's got this chain going on, right? Right. The very next line. How can they hear without someone preaching it? So you need somebody to preach to you. Well, how does somebody preach to you? Like Paul's playing this game that sometimes you play where like, I'm going to go back to find the first cause of something. And when he finally gets to it is the gospel. How do you get somebody to preach to you? The answer is, well, verse 15, how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are those, are the feet of those who bring gospel. The answer is the gospel. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. Somebody has heard that and believed in it and is now preaching that to you. And when you hear that, you believe in it too. When when you hear that word, you believe in it too. And that creates the faith in your heart, which enables you to call upon the name of the Lord so that you can be saved. So you see the track that Paul's doing here? Starts with the gospel. It moves to the word. Specifically here, somebody preaching the word. It moves to you hearing it, hearing the word, which creates faith in your heart, which enables you to call in the name of Jesus. And that's, that's how you get saved. That's how Jesus, capital W word, saves you. Basically through, like I've been saying, lowercase w word. 
the gospel. Right? So this is why Paul says, so what then Paul says in verse 16, but not everybody believed in the gospel. So what does that mean? Not all the Israelites accepted the gospel. For Isaiah says, and there's a rhetorical question from Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our message from Isaiah 52? Like, in other words, nobody, I'm preaching the gospel, but nobody's believing it. Nobody's believing it. The answer, Paul says, is consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, but the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes from the message, which comes from the word. You are saved by God's word. This is our only hope. And I made this comment last week, I'll make it again. You are not saved by being a Lutheran. And, and I know that a lot, most of you don't believe that, you know, just because I'm a Lutheran, I'm saved. But let me put it this way. You're not saved by Lutheran theology. You're not saved by the book of Concord. You're saved by the word of God. This is your own, this is our only hope for salvation is the word of God. And when the word is preached here in Romans 10, but also when you read the word on your own, when you hear somebody read the word, listen to an audio version of the Bible, according to Romans 10, that announcement of the gospel that you're reading is going in your ears, somehow mysteriously creating faith in Jesus in your heart, which results in a life that looks like a Jesus life. You speaking a call for help from Jesus himself, you announcing earlier on in Romans chapter 10, you proclaiming to others that Jesus is Lord. It comes from the word. Okay, now, this is, by the way, this is all, again, this is all basic. I'm not saying anything that anybody here doesn't know, probably. This is all just basic Christianity. All Christians believe in this. You're saved by Jesus. Jesus saves you through the word of God. Now, what makes us different as Lutherans is the theology of the sacrament. This is not something separate from what I've already been talking about. The only thing that can save you is God's word. The only thing that can save you is God's word. That is the Bible. And there's two other forms that God's word shows up in. God's word shows up in written form or preached form, as I'm preaching from the Bible. God's word also shows up in liquid form. In the waters of baptism, I'll explain that in a second. God's word also shows up in bread and wine form here. This and this have the exact same power when they're combined with God's word of God's word. All right, let me explain. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me give you a couple proof texts. You can look at this with me if you want to, or if not, you can just listen. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Paul, in the midst of talking about marriage, says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Right, so this is talking about capital W word, saving us. How does he do it? Cleansing her by the washing with water. It's a reference to baptism. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. This is just ordinary water over here. I'll tell you where they get the water for the baptism. There's a utility room in between the uh, men and women's restroom. And there's a tap in there. And the water comes from uh, wherever Glen Carbon gets its water from. There's nothing magical about it. It's just ordinary H2O. Sometimes it tastes a little fluoride But you warm it up because babies freak out if they get cold water pour them. And you stick it in here, and it's just ordinary water. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. But when combined with God's word, it becomes the word of God in water form. You're baptized. You are cleansed with water from the word. Why do you believe that baptism saves you? Because it's some like sort of magical, right? Because the water actually is magical. No, this is what the reformers actually argued against. This sort of from the work worked. Like just because you like had water poured on your head, you're good to go. No, that's not the case. It is God using His Word to save you. Baptism saves you in the same wor- in the same way that reading the Bible saves you. 
It's the word of God which creates faith in your heart. Now, here it's audible or visual. Here it's physical. You, you get it with your other, with your sense of feeling. Communion works the same way. Let me read to you from Romans 11, or not, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For when it, Paul, Paul's talking about communion, and he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. Do you guys believe, I hope you do because all Christians believe this, that when the word of God is preached, God changes people's hearts? That when the word of God is proclaimed, God brings unbelievers to faith and sanctifies believers? I hope you do. If you believe that, then you believe that when communion is taken, the same thing happens here as what happens when the word of God is preached. Because whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, God's God's death, Christ's death, is preached. He uses the word for preached. This is God's word in bread and wine form. Bread and wine can't save you. This, this is, uh, um, we buy this in bulk, right? From, I don't even know who you buy it from, probably as cheap as possible to save as much money. Little round pieces of bread that are made in big industrial machines, I'm sure. The wine is bought at, uh, I think, Friar Tucks. That's my guess. Maybe Dean's in Collinsville. I'm not sure. It's just ordinary wine. It's, it's, a uh, the kind of wine that you would drink with your dinner, right? However, when it's combined with the words of Christ, this is my body, this is my blood, it becomes the word of God in bread and wine form. It has the power to save you. Not because bread and wine are magical when they're up here in these little goblets and stuff. Not because like you coming forward to the rail like creates some sort of mystical haze around you that gives you supernatural powers. Because God has promised, weirdly enough, God has promised to bind himself to bread and wine in such a way that you receive the benefits of Jesus' death when you eat and drink this. His death is preached to you. You eat the bread, you drink the wine, you're getting the same thing into your belly as you get into your ears when the word of God is preached. This is why we as Lutherans believe in the sacraments. Because we believe in the word of God. Now, why is it that we need this? Can't you just have the word of God? So I, the, 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 the Baptist church that I grew up in, let me just tell you, and I'm not bashing on those of you who are Baptists. This is what the pastors at my Baptist church that I grew up in taught. Baptism is the first step in obedience. As a, a, in Christian, You get saved, and the first thing you should do is show God that you, you want to love and obey him by getting baptized. And the, the problem with this, of course, is that that's not in the Bible anywhere. The first step of obedience is never, it's never anywhere in the Bible. The second problem, though, is it doesn't recognize that it's only the word of God that has any value for our salvation. And somehow that has to be connected with the word of God if it's going to be worth anything. Else there's no point in doing it, except just to get wet for a few seconds. When we would, when we would receive communion in the Baptist church, we were told this is just a way to remember the death of Jesus. Well, of course, and I thought as a, as a seven-year-old, but I can remember the death of Jesus on my own. Like, what's special about this? Well, the answer is there's nothing special about this unless you realize that the word of God has the power to save and God has combined this with his word in such a way that it is the death of Christ preached to our bellies, just like the death of Christ is preached to our ears and read to our eyes from the Bible. That's why you believe in the sacrament, because you need this. You need to hear it out loud with your ears. You need to see it with your eyes. You need to taste it with your tongue. You need to smell it with your nose. You need to feel it on your skin. Now, I've done this illustration before, but I'm going to do it one more time for you, and I'm going to try and do it in a way that might be memorable. Hey, hey, Reeve, can you come up here for a second? I didn't tell Reeve I was going to do this. But this is my daughter, Reeve, and she's not too shy, so she doesn't mind being up here like this. I, I, I really love Reeve. Is that true? I love you. You're a good girl. 
And um, I tell her I love her all the time. But I also, um, we also are physically affectionate. I was talking with a friend of, I was Skyping with a friend of mine last night who lives out of state. And as I was doing so, Reevy came over and like latched herself around my neck and stuck her face in. And maybe she loves me and maybe she just wanted to see her face in the little Skype box up there. But, um, so we tell each other that we love each other and we also hold each other. I, we, we hug all the time. She's still young enough that I can carry her. Now, the thing about Reevy is, is that she wants me to tell her. That I love her. But she also wants me to hug her. This seems like a reasonable request, right? What if, and you, you, for those of you who are here for, uh, um, uh, for Charlotte baptism, you'll, you'll remember me saying this. What if I said to Reevy, if I said, Reevy, I love you. And she says, I love you too, Dad. And she comes forward to give me a hug. And I say, no, 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 no. I told you I love you. That's good enough. You know I love you. you don't, that's all you should need, right? I would be a bad father. Why is that? It's because Reevy has a body and she has a soul and a mind. She has an inside and she has an outside. She needs to be told audibly. If I also, if I give her hugs, some of you who grew up in the 50s and 60s, some of you, some of you will tell me this. I never heard my father say that I love me. I, that's not me. My dad said I love me all the time. But my dad's generation. My, my grandfather's generation did not tell my dad's generation. A lot of them didn't that they loved him, right? What if I what if I was physically affectionate with Reeve, but I never said the words "I love you"? I guarantee you, there would be something in her mind. She would have to explain it as an adult. She would have to say, "I know my, I know my dad never said he loved me, but I know he loved me because he worked hard for us, you know, and he would give me hugs." She would always be having to do that sort of like balancing act in her head, like always explaining to herself, "Did my dad love me? Well, he never said it. Okay, well, I he did hug me, so there's that. There's a point in." you know, in that column. But since Reevy is body and soul, she needs me to tell her, I love you. And she needs me to hug her all the time. Does that make sense? Her body needs it and her soul needs it because that's the way that that we're created. Now listen, we, you and I, body and soul, need salvation. God knows this. This is why he sent Jesus. God didn't send you information. He didn't send you a pamphlet to save you, saying, you know, if you just think this certain way, you'll be good to go. I'll tell you in this pamphlet, I love you, and that's all you need. What about our bodies? God sends Jesus to die, body and soul, so that united to him, we will be saved body and soul. And now that Jesus has ascended to his Father, he gives us the same message. He gives us his word. I tell you every day, Every Sunday when we come in here, I'm going to say with my mouth, Jesus loves you guys. It's going to go in your ears. It's going to create faith in your heart, but it's going to be an internal thing. But now in a few minutes, you're about to come to the rail. And Jesus is going to give you a hug. I know that's cheesy. I don't normally try and stay away from like hallmarky things like that. But Jesus is going to physically give himself to you. He's going to give you a hug at the rail. You are going to, I don't know how this works. It's a mystery how he binds himself to the words of Scripture coming out of my mouth as I read it, how he binds himself to bread, I don't know, but I do know that because we need it, he gives himself to us body and soul. And that's going to happen in a few seconds. All of God, all of God, for all of you, that's what the sacraments mean. God's word for all of you, every single part of you. All right, amen. Amen.